Welcome back, everybody. Time for another episode of Funnel Radio, the flagship program right here on the Funnel Radio channel. The Funnel Radio channel, as you know, is home to 15 programs with live broadcasts and follow-on podcast replays. In our ninth year of hosting, we're proud to bring back the man who came up with this vision and putting it together ever since, Jim Obermeyer. Hey, Jim. Thank you, Paul Roberts. Paul Roberts is our producer and announcer for all programs in the Funnel Radio channel. Our guest today is Celeste Lunsford. She's Chief Research Officer of CSO Insights. She discusses the startling result of their latest sales performance study. She talks about the 1,200 respondents and how many saw increases in quota attainment and revenue last year. However, she also notes that there are some key metrics show a decrease in adherence to sales best practices. This led them to believe that the upswing in revenue had more to do with the upward economy, but we're going to get into that in just a moment. Celeste, welcome today. Now, you've got a long resume for us, consulted with sales and service organizations for more than 20 years. You've helped them grow, acquire, and retain client relationships. As the Managing Director for CSO Insights, you guide CSO Insights research focus areas and its market deliverables. Now, you have authored two books, Secrets of Top Performing Salespeople and Strategies that Win Sales. And even more credible, you've supported some of the world's largest recognized companies, including AAA, Alliance, Bernstein, American Express, Citibank, uh, U.S. Department of Defense, Office Depot, a whole bunch more of those. Welcome to our program today, Celeste. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Last February, we went through this other study that we did a review, and you gave us a good breakdown of that. Mm-hmm. And there were some glimmerings in that maybe things weren't quite as rosy. Mm-hmm. In this study, it has the title, All That Glitters Is Not Gold, or in my own mind was, There's Trouble in River City. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about CSO Insights for anybody that might be hiding under a rock someplace in the world that haven't heard of you. And then let's get into why this report and what the triggering event was to create it. Absolutely. So CSO Insights is a research organization. We specialize, as the name would indicate, just in sales. So we've been collecting data over 22 years at this point, and we're always looking at two things. So what are sales organizations doing? How well are they doing those things? And then the second thing is their metrics. So what results are they seeing? And we're always combining the two to see if we can pick up patterns and trends to understand are there some things that tend to be more associated with success? Are there things that are getting bigger? Are there things that are getting smaller? And the whole point is to make sure that people in our readership, which would be sales leaders, sales enablement leaders, sales operations leaders, they can help themselves make more data-driven decisions. One thing I'd like to go back and take a look at, I mean, you give a lot of this research away for free, but you have members that support you, correct? Mm-hmm. There are a couple ways to participate in CS Insights. You can be part of our research community, which means we pass out snippets of our research. You have access to our blogs, things like that. No fees for that. For people who are practitioners who want to set up a sales enablement function or execute with some of the data, dig more deeply into it, those are membership-based programs. Let's talk about the report and the triggering event. Every two years, we conduct this study that I'm talking about, and it's called the World Class Sales Practices Study. We interview organizations around the world, 1,200 or more organizations. We do it global in nature, so there's never more than 50% from North America because we want to make sure what we're talking about is relevant to sales, and increasingly, more and more sales organizations work across different geographies. And what we look at is a set of over 50 different practices. So these are things that sales leaders 
can and should be doing. And all of them are important. So this would be a list of everything from having a really well-tuned compensation plan to having a process for opportunity management to having excellent service skills. So those would be the things that we poke around. Then we look at them in context of seven metrics. And the metrics are revenue plan attainment, how much of your overall goal did you achieve? Quota attainment, which is what percentage of your salespeople made goal. And then we look at win rate, loss rate, no decision rate, and then voluntary, involuntary attrition. And we narrow that list of 50 some odd practices down to a top 12 that have strong positive correlations across all of those metrics. The triggering event is over the course of the last 18 months or so, we provided a lot of data to sales leaders that says, hey, there's some serious gaps that we see in sales organizations. There's a lot of changes that we see happening in the B2B buyer community. As a sales leader, what should you start to do to transform your organization? The impetus of this study is let's help prioritize some of those things because it would be impossible to go after all 50 at once. Just A, you couldn't afford it, and B, it'd be too disruptive to customers. So with limited resources, which might be a short list of things you want to make sure that you've got shored up in the organization. Now, the economy is doing well. Things are lifting and people are happy and sales managers are not sweating the last quarter very much. Is this period, in your own opinion, where things are up and everybody's happy, but they're ignoring what's going on in the back? They're not worrying about it too much. These down areas, these areas that are causing concern. And if you'd go over those with us to talk a little bit more in depth about them. This study, by the way, is about, what was about 30, 40 pages, 30 pages? Mm -hmm. And I've read it three times. It has so much in it. We can only concentrate on the first quarter of it. We can't even hope to get into the rest of it. But I think this is one of the most important parts of it. So what did the study say? And we saw a glimmering of this when you and I talked in February. We did. What did the study say that concerned you the most that makes you suddenly decide, "Uh uh-oh, there's something going on here? So last time we talked, we saw a couple of those lagging indicators around revenue were starting to, to wobble up. Two years ago, when we did the study in 2017, the percentage of salespeople who were making the number was at like 53%, and it was on a five-year skid, and it was approaching an all-time low, and there was a lot of noise in the industry and concern over that. We saw in February, when you and I talked, the study that we had done in, about in 2018, we started that, to see that reverse. We started to see things wobbling back upward. What we saw in this study Concerning in that we did definitely see quota attainment start to bound back up. So it's still only at 57%, but that's a noticeable difference as we've collected this over the years. And revenue plan attainment is also very positive. In fact, the average across this thousand plus sales organizations was 101%, which means most people made the goal last year. And I wouldn't say they made it easily, but they found a way to make it. What was concerning is that while those numbers were starting to become less of a wobble and more clearly positive, other things that we collect started to be a lot more clearly negative. So for example, customer retention went down, salesperson retention went down, the depth of relationships that salespeople are having with customers also dramatically went down. Not surprising when you think about what we've been reporting about B2B buyer expectations and those sorts of things, but still interesting in that those are going down while 
the end goal, the number, people achieving the number has gone up. And so when we start to see that marked difference like that, it's concerning because what it means is that organizations are making the goal. It's not easy to make the goal. They're scrambling to do it. And what they're doing is they're starting to grow their sales forces. They're adding more technology tools. They're going after what is a generally pretty positive market right now in order to be successful just by expanding reach right? So it's through grit, determination, and reach. It's not because they're actually doing a better job in handling these increased buyer expectations. It's not because they're more efficient. It's not because they're more effective. It's because they're being able to ride a bit a good economy, which is, again, not to say it's easy, but that's a different way to go about making the number. Since we did this study in 2017, the global GDP across 153 different countries went up 10%. And so when you look at that and you say, well, what happens if it stops going up at 10% every two years? What if it decreases? Or what if it just goes up at 2% or 3%? Well, now you have a problem when I've been depending on that to drive my revenue numbers. Now those other things about customer retention and seller retention and my relationships getting more shaky, those put you in a really vulnerable place. So you're saying the sales managers to a certain extent, and the broader C-level team may be overconfident and neglecting areas simply because they're doing so well and nobody wants to rock the boat. So if they're doing well, they say, well, I have more salespeople. If they're doing well, let's, let's spend more money on marketing. Oh, it's time to buy some of those AI tools that we've all heard about sure. that are driving things. And it may be helping, but at the same time, it may not be good fundamentally. So what disturbs me is retention rate of salespeople going down. Of course, it does go down in good times because salespeople change jobs and move over someplace else. And and, uh, so jobs are tight, so they go someplace else to get paid more money. But some of the other things your study found are disturbing. Is this what drives the title, All That Glitters Is Not Gold? Yes, we were reminded. And so uh, we looked, we were talking as we were putting together the analysis about fool's gold, which doesn't always translate around the world. And so we were looking at fool's gold. We found the story of this... um, European entrepreneur, shall we say, who was basically trying to mine lots of gold. So he put together this large number of ships, went over to what we now call Canada, found a whole bunch of iron pyrite, which we call fool's gold in certain parts of the U.S., and then brought it back. People were so excited about it. He got all this other funding. He went and got a whole bunch more ships, went back to what is now Canada, drug it all back. And then a couple of years into the processing, they're like, wait, hey, this is not gold. And so all the money had been sunk, all the investment, all the time, all that had already been spent. About 40 years after that was when Shakespeare had his famous line about all that glitters is not gold. If you translate that back to the sales world, what you'd say is we've seen some positive results, which are causing people to continue to invest. So, hey, I've been growing the sales force. I'm continuing to make the number. I'm starting to deploy these new tools and not necessarily paying attention to the fact that it's taken me a lot of effort to onboard all these new sellers, to try to integrate all these new tools. I'm doing a lot of work to plug all the holes in the dam to get there. So it's hard work to make the number this way. And I might at some point come to the point where it becomes quite obvious that I've got something that's not quite as shiny as I thought it would. At that point, it'll be much harder to transform. It'll be much harder to take advantage of investments. And then there might be some really great tools you have to give back because you haven't really been taking advantage of them. We're going to take a quick break here to hear a word from our sponsors. But when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about the leaders in this study, the bigger companies, the people that seemed to go against the grain of what the majority of people were reporting did better than other people. And that's the part that's very interesting. 
out of your 12 parameters, they seem to knock down most of those and they seem to be able to probably weather any downturn. So let's talk about that when we come back. Miller Hyman Group provides sales methodologies and skills training that help sellers close more deals. Our core sales training programs, including strategic selling with perspective, professional selling skills, and spin selling conversations, revolutionize seller behavior and drive success in leading sales organizations around the world. With 40 years of experience, our ability to develop sellers who meet the changing expectations of today's buyers is unparalleled. Count on us to arm your sellers with the behaviors and strategies they need to engage more buyers, provide exceptional customer experiences, and move the deal. Find us at www.millerhymangroup.com. We've been speaking with Celeste Lonsford. She's a chief research officer of CSO Insights. And we've been talking about her most recent study, All That Glitters Is Not Gold. She's given us some reasons why the study, what the triggering events were for this study, and that somehow, in spite of people making quotas and appearing to be more efficient, maybe they're really not more efficient. They may lose some market share and they may have some comeuppance if things turn downward. Now, you'd mentioned earlier in your introduction that you had looked at all these 50 attributes and scaled it down to 12 that seemed to make a difference. And you found in this study that the people that are doing the best, the big companies that are really focusing on some of those, uh, how do I put it, processes and procedures seem to be doing so much better and they're not falling down in these weaker areas. Yeah. So what we found is we did the analysis and we identified these top 12 set of practices. So these are the ones that are most correlated to success. They're a list, right? So this would include what I would call oldies but goodies, which would be things like sales coaching, still hugely impactful, really good call execution skills, still hugely impactful, but other things that are a little bit more modern in nature in the sense of a lot more around analytics more about expanding the sales ecosystem to connect better with things like marketing and customer service, more of a control and driving of a talent strategy. And so it's a pretty heavy lift when you look at that list of 12. So we went back and we analyzed all the data to say, okay, is it even possible? Is there anybody who does all 12 of those well? And it was only about 9% of the overall study performance. And so these are what we call our world class. And they aren't necessarily big companies, by the way. Uh And it's not necessarily that they're selling very expensive products and services, but they have a very effective, what we call a sales system. So they have a very formal way in that they set up their sales system, all the processes and the components, and they align and execute well around it. And for that 9%, when you looked at their metrics, they all pointed in the same direction. So they too had revenue plan going up and quota attainment going up, but they also had stronger retention of customers. They had better customer relationships. They had lower attrition all of their metrics pointed in the right direction. And so you saw that alignment between the leading indicators for them and the lagging. My first response as a sales manager, there would be another list of things I've got to do. Yeah. Uh, Because I take these studies 
seriously when I look at them. And then I read the report and I said, boy, this is, as you use the term, this is a heavy lift yeah. because it's a repurposing of the whole sales force. It's, it's kind of like, you know, our Seattle Mariners up here this year, play the baseball yeah. team. Yes. Yeah. They started off with 12, 15 games, did great. They're in last place now, probably, but and I'm not a great follower, but they're repurposing the whole team. So they're, you know, they're getting rid of big price people. They're getting the right players in the right spot. The owner says it isn't about the money, but in two or three years, we expect to have a championship team. Is this like a sports team? Will it take two or three years to turn the ship around for the companies that are failing in these areas? It's a great question. I mean, there's a reason that we only do the study every two years now is because we want to be realistic about if you really wanted to go after those practices, this is not a 90-day plan. The interesting part, though, is that what we advise them to do is say, hey, look at the list look at your sales system and do a bit of a diagnostic. Where are you in relation to this? And what you'll find is, of course, you have tons of gaps. You can't touch everything at once or you'll disrupt your entire sales organization and that'll be visible to customers, which is never a good plan. So the idea is you look at the list and you say, okay, so what is causing me the most pain? What is causing our customers the most pain? And then there might be one or two of those things. How would I impact that? And because if you're looking at the wholesale system systematically, then what happens is you say, hey, I need to go in and I need to do a better job of sales methodology. So there are more modern ways to sell today. So let's say, you know, we talk about perspective. Sales methodologies, the most successful ones are insight driven, they're perspective driven. Got sellers who are executing the sales process in a way that is really creating dense value for customers and improving the relationship. So you might say, hey, that's the thing that I wanna go after. Then you have to take a step back and say, well, what are all the intended and unintended consequences of that? Do I have to change my comp model? Maybe. Do I have to change my territory model? Possibly. The way I market might look different. I'm going to need a new set of value messages. In the old days where we would have said, it's linear, go in and redefine your sales process, put in place a new CRM, you know, A, B, C, D, E. This is more of an agile approach that says, Every time you change something, it'll force you to come back and change other things. So it's much more of a continuous, agile approach. And so that means you have to think about your sales organization a bit differently than the people that you hire who are going to thrive in that kind of organization where you have continuous change versus be completely disrupted by it. If I were a sales manager today and I had a few hundred salespeople, and I have in the past, I would probably read this report. And that I would try to come up with an, a survey document, ask the people in my organization, the international sales managers, the uh, sales operations managers, the, so the regional sales managers. I would come up with a survey doc and ask each one of them to answer the survey doc based on these 12 areas. Mm-hmm. And then I would try to get that in before I decided what I was going to, to tackle. Because my opinion doesn't mean squat. It's just my perception of what's going on. I can answer it and find out that I'm way off base. Mm-hmm. I may think something is doing, we're doing great in that area. In fact, most sales managers have a tendency to say, oh, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about other sure. attention will come back. And you go out to the sales force and you find out, oh yeah, this place is, it's turned into a terrible place to work or our competitors are offering us 50% more money or something's going on. Sure, yeah. So is there a document that you can help sales managers do a survey? Yeah. Or do they- so there's a couple different things. If you want a, a quick sort of gut check where you can compare yourself to others on July 8th, so a week from Monday, we'll be launching what we call the sales performance meter. That will be on the Miller-Hyman Group website. 
And what you do is you just go in and you are you're exposed to the 12 practices as well as some of the metrics. And then it will give you a red, yellow, and green to say, hey, this is how you're stacking up. These might be some problem areas. There's also consulting services that CSO Insights and Miller-Hyman Group offer where we can come in and actually conduct those surveys and do all the analysis for you across maybe different business units and teams like that. I like the idea of starting with that kind of diagnosis because to your point, I think sometimes different business units will have very different experiences. There'll be different labor markets in different parts of the world. So it's always nice to dig down a couple layers to people who are actually talking to customers every day and to see the world through their eyes as well. Well, I had worked for a large company. We had six, seven different marketplaces in the medical field and electronics and the sales forces were different. The customer service was different. Everything was different. And I can see the, the Hal Pepper, the sales manager at that time, saying, I want this survey done and I want it done individually across the businesses mm -hmm. to find out who's strong and who's weak. Because mm. it always amazed me through the years working there for about eight years how one business did so well, the other one did so poorly. And I said, can't these guys learn to run the business? They've been doing this for 70 years. Can't they learn how to run the business? Shows you how naive I was. I imagine the larger the organization it is, the more you need this kind of a survey that's really given by a group that doesn't have any dog in the hunt that's mm -hmm. going to be able to give it and do the analysis that's proper Mm -hmm. to go ahead and come up with some statistic with some results that everybody can count on and agree with and then figure out, all right, what can we do to get this team back on track? Because we may have six months or we may have a year, we may have a year and a half, but mm -hmm. chances are we're not going to have more than a year and a half to fix some of these most important things. No. And for most people listening today, I have no idea that they had this sales performance metric study coming up. So it's great to hear that. Yeah. Now you mentioned something very important a few minutes earlier, and that was that these are just large companies that are doing right, well right. in this. Some of them were, what would you call by a small company or medium sized company? We would look at organization 50 to $250 million as, as sort of the, the mid size. Okay. And then we wouldn't include, we don't include any micro businesses in any of our analysis. So if you've got less than, a couple of salespeople and a couple million dollars, you wouldn't necessarily have some of the same challenges or practices. Definitely not large organizations only. It's interesting if you look at a, a mid-size, let's say a $250 million or $100 million business compared to the multi-billion dollar businesses, sometimes those smaller ones have an advantage and that they have less salespeople per manager. So the span of control is less. They tend to do a little bit better on coaching because of that. They usually have a little bit better management of things like messaging. So they have some advantages in that the larger organizations don't because it's just hard sometimes to work in a big organization. Where their disadvantages is they often don't invest in like, I need a formal sales process. I need a formal sales methodology. Let's document all this stuff. Let's get everybody on the same page. That would be the things that sometimes are harder. But you don't necessarily need money to solve some of these problems either. Well, you're 100% right there, certainly. But $50 million companies should have a sales process. If they don't, they're, they're playing the lottery. And, and uh, <laughs> they're not in business. They're in the lottery business. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this study has four sections, I think, the deceptively yep. shiny state of sales, customer engagement, which we, we haven't gotten into very much, performance support, which was very interesting on, on that side, 
and strategy alignment. So how can someone get the report? And I see that you've got a summary report as well as the full mm-hmm. report. Will that full report be available for a while or is it going to be cut off? Nope, it'll be available for a while. You can join us in our research community and we'll push these things out to you on a monthly basis. To catch up on where we are now, just go to the CSOI website, www.csoinsights.com, and you'll find uh, on the research studies tab uh, the full report as well as a, a quick read. And I find a lot of people like to download both. And so what they'll do is they want to read the full report and highlight it and think through it. And as you said, there's just a lot of meat in that. But they'll pass around the summary report to other stakeholders and be like, hey, spend five minutes and read this. Let's talk about it. So do a little internal selling with it. (laughs) How can someone reach you, Celeste? You can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me directly at celeste.lunsford at csoinsights.com. I think sales managers will ignore this at their peril, (laughs) Uh, but sales managers have a tendency to uh, be overconfident, especially in good times. They should not ignore this. This is something they have to read, have to take your your survey and uh, seriously look at it if they've got the long-term health of their company on their mind. So thank you very much for taking your valuable time to come in today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I love to talk about this stuff. Yeah, you do a great job. You've got a practical background that no one can ignore. So thank you very much. Paul, over to you. You've been listening to the flagship program right here on the network, Funnel Radio. For at-work listeners like you. 